Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Anchor Radio Shows, Autistic People, People First, Living with Autism, a 60-Year Journey. My name is Kelly Green. Green. I'm the mother of an autistic teen, teen, founder of AutismHighway.com, and is this year an Anchor World Ambassador for the United States States. of America. Today, November 16, 2016, we will begin a series of conversations with the founders of Naturally Autistic Inca and the Anchor World Autism Festival. Two people with the insight and heart and heart devotion to model and lead the autistic community into a new era of empowerment. Anthony's parents, Leonora Gregory Calora and Charlie Calora. So I've been reading up on their bios on their beautiful naturally autistic website, and there's so much information for us to go through. So welcome to the show, Leonora. Thank you, Kelly. It's so great to be on the show and to start this process because um, so many people have been asking about our history, our life, you know, what's behind the anchor motivation and mobilization of the world and um, the history. So thank you so much for inviting us to do this series of shows. Yes, you know, it's it's so important for people to understand how you've built the foundation to create this incredible movement that we're seeing build over the last seven years with the incredible um, National Autistic People Award, the inception of this uh, fantastic gathering of people. People have really no idea what ANCA was doing from the beginning of its uh, time being a formed and beautiful support system for autistic people and their families and their their teachers. You know, it's something that you guys have uh, naturally, <laughs> intuitively created, and a lot of people really don't even understand the beginnings of your company. And I'm really excited that we will be documenting that on this show. And, uh, and uh, you know, your childhood plays into that in a big way. And, and it's important for people, I think all people, to look back later in life on what they were doing as a child and what was important to them. And it, if you look closely, you'll see the roadmap on the autism highway is back, back, back there. And, and you can see the beginnings of it in your bio from when you were a child. So... Do you want to just kind of give us a a little thumbnail idea of what your upbringing was like? Sure. Um, let's just sort of <clears throat> start with why the why the show's called Living with Autism: Sixty Year Journey, because really, in essence, you know, every human life starts uh, at conception and possibly before when two people <clears throat> connect or fall in love and get married and conceive a, a child. And in my case, it, it started 60 years ago, or more actually, but we'll round it off at the 60. 
um, when my father, you know, met my beautiful mother and um, brought her to Canada as he was doing work here and, and how that journey um, opened a new chapter in, in my father's life because he was in his late 40s. My mother was uh, early 20s, so so quite a big, a 25-year difference actually between the two of them. Um, wow. And how, you know, the, they were here on the West Coast. Um, they were in Vancouver. They were on the West Coast of the United States and traveled to Hawaii and then Samoa where I was born. And it is, in, in those days, we're talking in the 50s, Unusual, you know, unusual for um, an Asian person to be married to a white person. So you've got that, right? Um, you know, in those days when I was a little kid, when I finally ended up in England, you know, I was called half caste. So that kind of gives you a sense of the climate of human beings in terms of their understanding or lack of uh, experience right. in terms of interracial marriages and interracial children. And and right. it really wasn't that long ago, right? 60 years is not that long ago when you think about it. No, and and you would think that we would have come such a long distance in those 60 years. And, you know, with current events and things that are happening, you see people that are still feeling, still the, feeling pain the pain from that, from that. Right, and so um, as you as you asked, you know about about the biography and the early childhood and <clears throat> how we come to the sixty years year journey of living with autism, and it's not a, with autism isn't something I tend to promote, but it's it's the language that people have gotten used to uh, based on propaganda and promotions out there, which kind of equates to this sort of racial divide as as we're seeing um, and shouldn't be seeing in this day and age, right? Right. Uh, So there's so many facets to my life that can equate to either the expansion of human development or to the underlying prejudices that that are still resonating uh, with certain groups of human beings. So... You know, our choice, as you know, is always to go the expansion route, uh, pay attention to what the underlying issues are for people in terms of prejudices and uh, racial issues. Uh, but at the same time, one has to sort of look at the the expansion. For example, when I first came to Canada, I was a teenager. I had graduated from private school, which was Elmhurst Valley School in England, two years ahead of my peers. Uh, I'd skipped two grades in my education. And I came to an all-white city, which was very reflective of when I was four, arriving in London and wondering where all the black people were because I had been in North Africa, East Africa, and was on my way to living in West Africa. And, you know, where were the Asian people? Because I was born in the South Pacific and lived in Asia for my my early developmental years. So it was very strange, you know, arriving twice in my life into a country that from my perception, everyone was white. And and so to see, you know, the United Kingdom or Great Britain, London, England emerge and change from the 60s when they opened um, immigration to people from the Caribbean and, and so on, and then 
more recently through the European Union, right, with all the European countries. Um, and then in, in Vancouver, we really didn't see, um, you know, you had your traditional Chinese people that had established Chinatown, and you had your um, Vietnamese people from the war. Um, and, and then, you know, we had Expo in Vancouver that, that opened the doors to the world in terms of right, the, the right. geographic city of Vancouver, which is extremely beautiful. And then from there on in, you had the Hong Kong people um, sort of using Va Vancouver, Canada as a bit of a gateway because of their own fear around China. And then that, you know, wasn't so so bad, so they all went on to China, right? <laughs> Yeah. And now we've got a different influx of Chinese with real estate because, um, you know, they're concerned that they won't be able to take as much money out of China. So it's just interesting how there are economic reasons, there there are social reasons, there are uh, conflict reasons, so many, you know, different reasons where a, a country will change its racial landscape, shall we say. Yeah. So yeah, and, I was... Culturally, yeah, it's and, so rich when that happens. Right, and I was really influenced by all of that from the time, you know, my parents met or my father brought my mother to Vancouver and I was conceived right. and then born and so on. I think all of those experiences, as I've just sort of briefly explained from my perspective, have impacted me to how I saw human beings in the world. So when I started to become a professional teacher of ballet and some parents, you know, who who had money and were affluent brought their children to the Anna Wyman School of Dance Arts where I was teaching and I was also teaching their contemporary company, ballet. Um, and, and so people with money or affluence you know, their pediatrician suggested their children with learning differences or developmental differences physically, you know, go to a good ballet class for coordination and that sort of thing. So that was right. my real introduction. Um, and then prior to that, before I graduated from the Royal Ballet, I was in Canada doing some teaching for Friends of Friends, and I was introduced to the label... Um, uh, ADD and ADHD. I didn't, you know, upon reflection, I didn't realize that that was, was actually already out there. Um, so there were some small children that I was working with that were supposedly hyper. Um, and, you know, so I worked with them and apparently movement really calmed them down. So right. the premise and basis for my existence in the special needs world came way before having my son and way before my own diagnosis. But the right, influence right. and experience of so many diverse realities um, and, and what I was witnessing and experiencing, I think, really influenced me when it came to human beings who were starting to be identified as different in you know how they communicated, verbally or non-verbally, how they behaved, you know, eye contact, no eye contact. And it didn't make any sense to me to utilize those models or tools because I come from cultures where those were implicitly part of the culture. 
you know, right. where you don't, right. for example, my mother's culture in Thailand, you don't go around touching everyone's hair, right? Uh, yeah. Japanese culture, you don't stare at people's eyes, right? You look down uh, when you greet someone. Uh, in some cultures, you don't shake hands. You know, right. you don't touch right. anyone until you get to know them. So there are all these things that I'd already been educated and experienced in. And then, you know, fast forward to working with, with kids with, with, in those days, the word, the label special needs didn't even exist. Um, but let's say, you know, Downs did exist, but it was called Mongoloid, right? And so on and right. so forth. So right. I could not understand this terrible negative uh, language, you know, as, as I sort of pursued it, or labeling. I did not understand right. Right. why this was happening, and, and nor did I understand why people were, uh, putting these 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 sort of uh, idiosyncratic um, ways of, of 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 explaining different groups of human beings, it just didn't make sense to me. Right, right, right and right. and that is something that, is that we struggle with to this moment. People insist, People insist on on labeling and boxing and keeping something in that mode, but not understanding how unnatural that is for any human because we all expand and grow from the small seed that we are and we all do it in different ways because each one of our seed is coded differently. So it's so amazing to me when people have such a hard time understanding these beautiful differences. Exactly, and and you know, you, I do feel that society and individuals have a responsibility to understand human development, and and not just human development, but the whole world, ge- ge- geographical yeah. development, yeah. political development, you know, economic development, climate, right, and and so on and so yes. forth. Because yes. if we don't have a good understanding where we're all from how can we have a good understanding of who we're meeting you know each day in our you know present life and then how can we have an understanding of evolution truly um as we move you know forward so i I find yeah go ahead well i'm just saying yes in the cultural piece of this conversation is crucial. It's critical to the entire conversation and people have been so ensconced in separating these cultures when it's so much more natural for us to blend and learn. And I love that about your upbringing is your father and mother, um, unbeknownst to them, were prepping you in this cultural canvas as you patchworked into different countries and different um, um, ways of being and and seeing people and moving and learning new cultures in different areas. It's it's really really helped you with what's become your life's work. Yes, I suppose that the preparation and foundation was quite quite large and, and expansive because it did include the whole world. Um, you know, before I was four years old, I had visited <clears throat> many parts of the then USSR, now Russia, um, 
many parts of Asia, you know, the Pacific Islands, Auckland, uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, India, Pakistan. You know, we had traveled through uh, the Indian Ocean, Eastern Africa, all the way through the, the Red Sea, the Suez, the Middle East, and North Africa, and, and Southern Europe, and then Mid-Europe, um, and the North of Europe, uh, prior to even arriving in, in London, England. So I'd, I'd seen a tremendous amount of the world um, and been hugely influenced in the first four years of my life. And then right. the second part of, of, of up to age eight, you know, I was hugely influenced, continued to be influenced by Europe and, and Russia um, and, and Western Africa because we lived there and traveled to Europe and traveled to Russia on a regular basis. Um, and then from 8 to 16, of course, I was I was in private school uh, from, I think, 11 till 16. Um, and I was in uh, a small village school from age 8 to 11, where, you know, that's where I was right. being called, you know, half-caste and half-breed and right. ching. You know, I was, didn't, don't even have Chinese blood in me. Um, and, and so at a very, very young age, I was curious, because this is very... You know, if every human being listening to the show, whether now or during the archives, and, and, and yourself, Kelly, if people reflect on their own life, when you're a very little child, you actually think everyone lives like you, yes. right? Because that's, you're, you're young, you haven't had an experience. And, and that was the same for me. I thought that all these kids calling me names, you know, had had the same exposure I had, Right? And and then you start to realize, oh, that's not the case. They hadn't even le- left that village. They hadn't even gone to London. Right. Even seen the rest of their own country, right? So your eyes start right. to, and that's that contrast, isn't it? Your eyes start to yep. open up. Your brain starts to open up. And so you start to have a bit more compassion and understanding on both sides of the fence, Right. You have an understanding for those that have just grown up and lived in a bubble. At the same time, you, you start to understand that not everyone is like you, and likewise, not yeah. everyone is like them. So you create these sort of bridges of understanding uh, as you move forward in life and, and grow. Well, that's, well, that's, 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 that's a beautiful that's way to look at it, and that would be a beautiful be a way beautiful for way parents to teach their children. their children. Because I really don't I really see, that see that mindset, mindset out there, out and, there. That is, and that uh, is uh, exactly, exactly the way we should all be looking at it. You know, it's uh, the differences will make you a better person by understanding the perspectives of people around you. Exactly. When we started Anchor Consulting, when we got down to the nitty-gritty and created a a parent and professional training program, um, which was sort of asked of us by the then uh, Executive Director of the Autism Society of British Columbia, and when we sat down and put this uh, nine-week training together, I I thought about that immediately. I thought, well... uh, for people to really understand their child outside of a label, they have to understand the connection that they have with their own child, first and foremost, as well as their own experience growing up. 
And so one of the exercises we did was to have the parents find all of their photographs from, you know, birth, and if not, you know, even photographs of their parents before birth, and then birth on, and then match photographs of their child with themselves. So they could create a nice cross-reference connection, starting to see their child as a child and not a label. Quite an emotional process for, for probably most of the families that did it because they, they didn't think about that relationship. They'd almost begun to disconnect from their child as an offspring, flesh and blood of their own lineage. That's how how the diagnosis process is. It's horrible. And and so not only you know, is the child influenced and, and damaged to some degree through that process, so are the parents. So by bringing people back to that sort of baseline and and bringing them back as to, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, it's 60 years living with autism. It's not, you know, age from birth to now because there's the whole pre, pre-connection that occurs. Like when a child is in, in utero, right, when a mother is pregnant, yeah. that child's experiencing all the environments the, the parent is involved in. So it's really bringing people back to that place and, and stop dehumanizing individuals with these labels that categorize everybody and put them into a box, that that, that box also separates them from their parents. Right, right. And that's that's a huge piece because if you're feeling separated from your parents in your own home, how can you feel comfortable in the rest of the world that you walk through? Home is your sanctuary. Home is where you need to feel understood and and adored, you know, you need to have that that safe that space. Safe and, space and, and when a family, when a family is so concerned with, with things that they things deem they unpenetrable do. or unknowable, uh, something that they'll never understand, because they've heard people use that phrase, I will never understand, and they repeat it so many times. It becomes their reality, and this is what this the is beauty what of Anka is, is because you promote the natural, innate understanding that anybody has with their child and don't separate yourself with that box and understand, understand that these that labels these are labels flexible. flexible. We all wear we labels all wear that labels change and expand with our personal and human growth. And uh, I, I thank you for getting that information out there to people, and we just need them to... Uh, to really embrace that in their home and don't let the rhetoric of the day or an organization that you have aligned yourself with to change what you know instinctually that Anka really trusts in. And, and I love that you used the word, the word naturally autistic so early on in your journey. And it's, it's, it's the most beautiful name for an autism organization out there, frankly. <laughs> Thank you. Well, naturally autistic is, um, you know, it, it came about because it, we're human beings first and foremost before any other label. And, um, you know, we are part of the, the creation on, on the planet, um, just as a tree is, just as, you know, animals, pets, 
I mean, just everything that vibrates on this planet is is part of of the substance, right? And and if if the label, you know, hugely about humans is called humans, then that's what we are first, and therefore it's natural. So whatever aspect of the human race we are, it is still natural. It's like with animals, you know, if you have dogs, you don't just have one looking type of dog. You have many right. looking different, right? Different sizes, different shapes, different personality traits. And the same with cats, the same in the the lion kingdom, right? The bigger cats, your lions, your tigers, your leopards, bobcats, cheetahs, cougars, you know, the list goes on. But we all know yes. that part of that cat family. So the, the human being falls into the same umbrella. We're all humans, just like the cat family first, and then right. we have diversity within that. So you'll have, you know, skin color diversity, eye color diversity, height, weight, bone structure, language, and all of that's based on the the ecosystem, just the same with the cat family or the dog family or the... Right fish family, you know, I mean, you could go on and on yeah. and on, right? So where we you're, need where, where to you're, start where you're to bring right, the, the human understanding to that place. And if we don't, you're going to continue to have, you know, terrible um, experiences for children in families, particularly where parents don't feel strong. You know, maybe they've got financial stress or maybe they've got their own, you know, personal issues of self-development and self-empowerment. Maybe they don't feel equipped, you know, they're not confident enough to raise any child, let alone a a child under the diverse umbrella that has uh, pinpointed and hammered out, right, as being different. And the word different is, is a terrible word, frankly. We really need to be looking at what is common, and so naturally autistic anchor came about immediately after I was identified, uh, which was after I lost my daughter and my my behavior and expression as something so deep uh, and compounding, you know, as a result, uh, and a second experience as a result of my son's birth, which was, you know, created some problems and trauma for him based on medical negligence. So both are medical negligence issues. And the way I express my trauma and and, and everything uh, was that of an autistic person and not that of, of another subhuman, you know, subgroup of human beings. So, right. And, and, and you'll know if you, if you study the animal kingdom or, you know, the tree kingdom or whatever kingdom, because <laughs> those have all been <laughs> categorized out as well, you'll see that every subgroup within those umbrellas also have their own response, right, and and ways of reacting yes. that are not exactly the same as the other linked subgroup. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, because you've got a, a personality component in, in in relation to each subgroup that is also in play. Right, and and then you have to add environment that is also in play, right? Like, let's just use the cat example. You know, certain 
uh, cats of the cat kingdom live in different geographical reasons, ge- different climatical reasons, for good reason because it's based on survival yes. and the ecosystem, right? So to think that human beings are not part of that same system would be, you know, outrageously obnoxious to to the creation of this planet and all that, you know, is embodied in it. Well, that's kind of how it feels sometimes when you hear people just saying stuff about autism in ways that sound very radically obnoxious like that because they're not talking about autism in a way that shows respect to autism. And so, in essence, they don't even realize that the language that they're using propagates division and and horrible feelings for people that are listening, mainly their children in, in instances that... Uh, make them feel like they are not natural beings on the planet. They don't feel naturally um, that they fit in naturally here. And this is the problem that people need to uh, amend, that everybody naturally belongs here. Because if we didn't naturally belong here, we wouldn't naturally be here. <laughs> it doesn't exactly. matter the way and, and, people and so, Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's funny because... Um, our sort of corporate team around us at the time when we were developing Anchor, you know, said that this is a highly unusual name for a company, Naturally Autistic. You know, most people at that time, 22, more than 22 years ago, didn't even know that word, autistic. Some people understood there was a label called with autism, but not autistic. And the other thing at that time was, you know, everyone years leading up to the mid-90s or early 90s, you know, everyone under that umbrella were considered, you know, the village idiot or dumb, dumb and dumber, you know, um, right. and and a klutz. And so the, those individuals were shoved into institutions. So, you know, and then if if they were lucky, the parents kept them at home and find, found some kind of skill set or interest that that individual was capable of doing um, and expanded right. upon that. Uh, other, others, like myself, you know, came from sort of a family of eccentricity and, and world knowledge of, of human development um, that it wasn't such a weird thing to have, you know, this child that sort of bounced off the walls and never slept and couldn't stop moving and talked a mile a minute, minute, you know, and wanted to copy everybody um, and then sort of crashed <laughs> in order yeah. to process and, you know, and then woke up in a bounce again. Um, you know, children like myself in the 50s and early 60s, you know, I just feel that we were, well, for myself anyway, so fortunate because I would have been institutionalized, according to my mother, and locked away because in those days, you know, children were seen and not heard, right? And um, I, I just recall her, uh, when I told her, you know, I'm, I'm autistic, and I was a little bit 
going through a grieving thing and I was a bit angry and I said, you know, what is wrong with you people? You know, you and dad, why didn't you, you know, have me uh, assessed? And, and she was like, why would we? Why would we have you assessed when doctors were gods and children were put away? You know, there yeah. was nothing wrong with you. You were just this child with, you know, super hyper awareness and sensory uh, awareness. See, they didn't see me as having something wrong. They saw right. me that I was sort of on the other side. You know what I mean? I was like hyper yeah. this and hyper that. And in the sense that um, my dad recognized I had incredible eyesight at a very, very early age um, when I when when my mother and I were traveling to uh, Eastern Africa because we had to leave Singapore, there's a, there's a whole history about, around my father's work uh, with the U- university and around Lee Kuan Yew, the then Lee Kuan Yew Prime Minister, and my father's work in in geography and having traveled back and forth to the Soviet Union at the time and writing many many books around the culture. Of, of the Russian people and the geography of the land because he was also a geographer, a journalist, worked with the United Nations and a whole bunch, and an educator, so a whole bunch of right. stuff. So anyway, we were, we had to leave Singapore, right? Uh, I guess Lee Kuan Yew uh, didn't have much more time for my father, didn't, you know, he'd sort of extrapolated all the information he needed uh, to create his beautiful Singapore. And uh, so... My father, we were, the family was given 24 hours to leave Singapore. So mum and I were wow. put on a ship in those days. You know, you had these beautiful cargo ships, and uh, they took so many passengers. It was fabulous. And um, I think I was just, just cut turning four. We are in the Indian Ocean, and I was on the deck. And um, I had this extraordinary eyesight and vision. In, in later years, my father was quite concerned because it, I would be so focused on this hypervision that I would fall over. I'd bump into lampposts and things. So, yeah. um, you know, here we are in this huge cargo ship, and I see uh, I see something in the distance, right, and, and a little sort of cloth or white or something. Um, but what it turned – so I ran to my mother, and I said, look, 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 right? Um, there were people, and, and it was like a raft. Anyway, she told the, the captain, and they, they they turned the ship around. You have to understand, it has to turn very slowly, right? Yes. Otherwise, you're going to yes. create problems. And then they, they dropped the um, lifeboats down with the, their crew and, and, and got these people. But I think there was five or four um, people. They were, were on a raft. They were... Um, uh, oh they were shipwrecked and all they just had this little bit of rag left uh, you know that I sort of saw floating around right so they, they, they got them and you know they had no clothes right I mean everything had literally salted off them or burnt off them and right. and so they were brought up and put with the special blankets and, and I believe they were Muslim because they came up to me I, I suppose the crew had told them this little girl had seen you, and had she not, you know, we wouldn't have got you. And they, they did this sort of bow down, right, to me, this sort of religious way, because um, yeah. I didn't understand these different forms of religion. But it was it was shocking also to see, for the first time in my life, 
you know, human bodies that could survive for weeks, you know, days and weeks like right. that. And, and um, to, I still to this day I can see the salt, the white on their skin, you know, and their, their, their bones, right? Um, right. What an experience. And for you to have spotted them, that's just fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, it, it that was my first real conscious understanding of what my father realized I had these highly sensory elements to myself, the, the yeah, eyesight being yeah. one, right? Which he, he, right up to the time he died, he repeatedly said to me, you know, there are aspects of you that are so unusual, but, you know, within the context of human, you know, umbrella, it's not, right? Because you, you right. do get... Um, and he and passed. He passed away long before you ever even came into the full knowledge about your your neurology. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, he he died in um, eighty 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 three. The yes, the year before my son was born, or a year and a half before my son was born. Yeah. Um, right. And right. Uh, he just was very. He himself was hyper aware about me. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, perhaps that was he's also thing. a gentleman on the spectrum, you know, with his yes, innate I, uh, interest. interest. You're right. When I got identified by, a, you know, a Canadian-renowned psychiatrist here in, in Brit- British Columbia Children's Hospital, um, we evaluated, you know, part of the process was to evaluate my own family, and, and he recognized that my father was on the spectrum just, you know, through who my father was and, and me telling right, him right. about my father. Um, and, and, yeah, exactly. So it, it, that was a really plus factor, right, um, to have two parents. I mean, they're both very different parents, but it was like two halves came, made a whole, you know, the aspects yes, of, yes. of who my dad was and my mother, who was, you know, always believed she was eccentric and the black sheep of her family and she believed she was spoiled, you know, like spoiled meaning, you know, she was the black shoe of the family. She did things that were not typical as per the other four children. And they were all right. very, right. very much older than her. So they kind of spoiled her, right? If she didn't want to walk, they would carry her. If she wanted she chocolate or candy, they yeah. would give it to her because she was the baby of the family. But yeah. clearly very different than the others. And they recognized that. In her, so then when I came along, you had these two parents that um, accepted uh, this unusual child. You know, not only unusual neurologically and sensorily, intellectually, but also, you know, genetically, physiology, racially. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the, the blend of these 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 cultures and how that influenced. Like not just a blend of the environment through the travel of my life in the early years that influenced me, but the blend of the two families uh, culturally yeah. and racially and how that affected me. Right, right, right and it right. just leaves you open for for so much acceptance. And so you were were raised around accepting that different is the norm. Right, so going back to that point about identifying people as different, I think we have to come to 
what is common, which in my sort of storyline in a funny sort of way I, I was explaining, we look at the commonality of my parents being, you know, from from two different cultures connecting. So what was common in that, right? What is common? Let's find what is common, that they were, you know, both really exceptional people in their life's work and career. Um, so that was what was common, right? They came from two yeah. different cultures and had an aspiration to learn and live in all kinds of cultures in the world. So that was common. So we start to look at that as opposed to looking from an obtuse angle and going, you know, that well, they were extremely different. One was from Ireland and Scotland and one was from Laos and Thailand. Do you know what I mean? Then you're right. going to have a whole different perspective. So the word different is not a good, frankly, word to use in the context of human beings. I think the the better word is common. What what are the commonalities we all share, right? Well, we all can have a need to connect, right? We all have a need yes. to communicate with each other. We all do. Right. And, and, and you know, there's a myth about autistic people don't. That's absolutely rubbish. Um, and that, that yeah. myth has got to be broken. That that myth is no different than the myths that were, you know, flounced around about black people in the United States having smaller brains than white people. Right. You know, and Ridiculous. the intelligence test, you know, was written up differently for the white folk folks in, in America versus the black folks to prove that very point. Well, they've done it to the autistic population as well. So we've got to move away from that. We have to start looking at what is common and start from that very basic point or, or baseline. When you understand what is common, if it's what's common between you, the parents, and you, the child, that's the first step. If it's common between you, the neighbor, and the child next door or the family next door, then let's find that. If it's the educator and the kids and family in the classroom, let's look at what's common. It's so nice. important. Um, because if we don't, we will continue to have uh, human beings who will control and continue to control society's population in ways that are, are not really reflective of um what I believe to be naturally human, put it that way. Right, right, and that right. that makes that, that so makes much sense, sense because sense. they use that word "different" to separate us and to drive wedges in between all of us. For whatever reason, people want the diversion and the division, and we are human first, and we all have that in common, and we want to connect. And contribute, and contribute, and just be and just accepted be as we are. As and, we are. And, and to me, a me, lot of society has become so um, just so overly concerned with their own branding and their own image, and they are not even communicating authentically anymore because they are so worried about 
what people are thinking about them, and they are not even focusing on the work that they're trying to do. And this is what I like about Anka, because Anka is very determined to help the world understand what's in common, and at the same time, we're allowing people to independently launch and connect amongst themselves through the umbrella of Anka and the platforms that you're creating. And, and in this way, culturally, autistically, and, and, and humanly, we connect on so many layers, and it's just such a, a, an amazing canvas. And, and uh, the tapestry of the brilliance of the things we have in common while we are so very different, it it rules it all. That's really the crux of what we should all be modeling, and, and I really thank Anka for, for putting that out there, and I, I recognize that the minute I came online that you were treating autism with much more respect than so many organizations out there. Well, I think, <clears throat> you know, we, we have to go back sort of even further um, one of the elements of my curiosity in life has always been to find the baseline of anything, right? To understand any situation, you've got to understand all the components. So when um, I was introduced to the fact that I indeed am autistic, and so is my son and my husband, um, it didn't surprise me because... uh, I always understood that they're variances of human beings, right, because of my upbringing. I, I understood that. Yeah. And yeah. and so I was one variance, which is, was a beautiful one, because then I got to meet many other others who in, indeed are also autistic. And so it was a, a revelation. It was joyful. It was wonderful. And it was not lonely anymore. Because despite the fact I was given the best, education, the best opportunities, you know, clearly the best upbringing, you know, I love my family, it was a great, great, great upbringing, full of love, but also understanding, and I had a lot of, um, I was able to, 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 I was raised in the way uh, an autistic individual needs to be raised naturally, and, and they were, they gave me that. So that was great, but when you get to a certain age, it's quite lonely because if you've done well in education as I had and, you know, did well in in the career path that I chose and was supported in, in ballet and the arts, the performing arts and production, I mean, there were so many components to that, um, and you go out in the world and you follow that because you have a passion and you've been supported to, it, you still have to understand okay, I'm part of this culture, that's great, I get to meet people because I was lonely. And then there's this immediate sort of interface and connection. And and I have never experienced that with any other human being in my life, ever, right? Um, Outside of that autistic culture. Because my son, he's autistic. So, you know, when he was born, that was an immediate connection, right? So the... If that interface is very important for autistic people. And so when we started uh, Naturally Autistic Anchor, the company, it started as a support group because it was an offshoot from my need to meet autistic people. 
And then for the Autism Society of British Columbia at the time, in the um, early 90s, to to um, have someone from the autistic community actually run a support group. And I said, you know, the support group isn't about like a bunch of people sitting around uh, going on and on about being autistic, right? I felt that it was important that people share their life journey as as a culture, as a group of human yeah. beings that were part of a culture. So we already brought that language into play right from the get-go, Kelly. Yes. So then when you're coming from that cultural place, you're already demystifying all the labeling and the sub-labeling that, you know, are embedded, right? Um, yes. It's almost like racial profiling in a strange sort of way, right? Very much because so. you have this label with autism or autistic, whatever the heck. Yeah, you've got and you have sort of, Right, and you have this continuum that seems to be dropping off now. You know, low-functioning, high-functioning, classic, you know, they seem to drop that off for the most part, the, in the, at least in the Western world. And um, so you're already starting to put people against each other. You know, oh, I'm right. Asperger's and you're low-functioning or you're classic. So you know right. what I'm saying? Terrible. Terrible. And And by doing that, you're also pitting parents against each other. But what you're actually doing is controlling a marketplace. And... What we have seen in 22 years, uh, just since we had our company, we we saw, you know, us go from running a support group, you know, for free of 61 uh, adults altogether, uh, to them being asked to run a kids group, to them being asked to train parents and children in understanding the thought process of the autistic paradigm. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is we were really, really ahead of the game before right. all of these sub-labels and um, uh, umbrella labels and all these different compartments really came into play um, and, and before there were any forms of, quote, therapeutic treatment. And right. we stayed away from that. We stayed away from the clinical stuff because because of my own history, and my own journey and that of Charlie's, I mean, where, you know, I, I am actually nearly 60 and, and Charlie's not far behind. And our son is, is nearly 32. Um, because of that journey and my own life experience, it did not make sense to, for perfectly healthy human beings under the autistic culture of this group of human beings in the world, uh, to go down a clinical pathway because what I started seeing and so did Charlie in reading the files of our early clients that came out of the support group. So we were running the support groups. We had no interest or desire at the time to become consultants, but there was no bridge between the family and the school system or the family and the medical system or the family and social development system, meaning, right. you know, if they wanted resources from the government and that sort of thing. So that was a kind of by default. Um, but out of the support groups, the parents asked us, after the training was put together for the Autism Society of British Columbia at the time, 
would we support them and their child in educational development, right? So if we were going to do that, which I developed an autistic developmental support system program based on uh, education, um, then we started to see where the problems were coming into play, right, of of these these subtle subcategories and pitting one group of autistic people against another or one family against another and, and how the clinical system seeped into it as well and the therapeutic system. And we wanted to stay away from it. So in reviewing the assessments of each child, we started to notice some patterns of ailments that were called autism, and they weren't. Um, They were actually a child had stomach, you know, problems but was unable to express to the parent what was going on or the parent was not skilled enough as a parent or did not perhaps have uh, grandparents in the picture to be able to know what was going on. So right. a lot of these right. children suffered, whether it was through you know stomach upset or ear infection or sinus, um, suffered greatly in their early developmental years from, you know, we're talking, you know, six months, 18 months, 12 months, of age to three or four years of age. And when we started to flag this, um, it really actually concerned us hugely because some of these children came to us as, quote, nonverbal, right? Um, But they became verbal. There there was no child that did not become verbal through our program. And that was not through therapy. That was through community. That was through educating the parents to understand the child, the human being first, and to go and learn about human development, right? Don't take it for granted, particularly if you're not surrounded by extended family and grandparents and, you know, beautiful people that pass on wonderful information. But then you had a cultural component as well, a racial, cultural component component we also noticed and identified and and how some cultures living you know in the western world uh, still raise their children based on that culture and that's wonderful but there are other components to cultures like let me talk about the Ghanaian culture for example if you have a mental imbalance you know, like schizophrenia or um, bipolar or whatever in, in Africa, in West Africa, in Ghana. I don't know if it's changed, but it certainly hadn't changed 10 years ago. Um, they are taken from the village and chained to a tree. Uh. And food is then thrown to them because they are considered possessed by the devil. So right. that's just one. I'm using an extreme example so that the listener can really understand that we must always put everything within a context. In North America, the predominant factor for autistic kids and families was the refrigerator mother. Right, right. So that's a culture, that's a cultural um, tradition, shall we say. Right. So that was was put on to the people here. Um, in, In parts of Asia... Uh, 
I saw in the 90s a documentary about children, I believe it was in China, who were uh, considered different in their thinking process but not considered disabled. So there was a lot of support, you know, particularly if they were boys and not girls. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's that other cultural component. So they, it was a long, long time before uh, autistic individuals who didn't have any other problems, medical problems, were really identified and potentially are still not really identified in China to to the racial, sorry, ratio, you know, the percentage of the population, right? Right, right. So there are all of these different components. So it's not that simple is what I'm getting at when you uncover um, and trying to emerge as as a community as a culture in society, um, and you've unearthed also all this yucky history of damning this community, locking it away, uh, you know, even parents hiding a child. uh, Right, right. You know, governments putting them in, in, sometimes in prison, not even in a a, a regular institution. So anyway, all of these things are... socially. Pardon? People are people socially will hide their autistic child because of the stigmas that they're concerned about, and so that in itself is such an unempowering position because you are in a position of defending the fact that somebody might recognize that your child's autistic, and you don't want anybody to know this. And I see such ridiculous drama. Created over this fear of accepting the fact that your child's autistic and not wanting other people to understand what that even means and how you can move forward more comfortably, you make yourself uncomfortable socially by acting as if there's no autism going on. <laughs> you want to pretend it's not happening and you do everything you can in your power to look the other way or hide the kid under a rock or do something else and and another you know it's just this just so much um unnatural behavior will happen when people get upset about the word autism or they don't understand or or they refuse to understand and right and um you know when i was when i first arrived in england off the ship and I wouldn't get off the ship. My mom had great difficulty to get me off that ship. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, I can vi- viscerally f- remember it, sensorially remember it, and f- visually. Um, I didn't want to get off that ship because it arrived in this yucky place full of, you know, darkness. That's what I saw. Yeah. I, I'd come from Africa and Asia and the tropics and the Mediterranean. So, I was arriving in this place of darkness because at that time in Britain, you know, fuel, the fuel was coal. So, you right. know, there's the smog and fog and and then there was all this right. loud music right. because when ships arrived into the, the docking, you know, in those days they had big brass bands and, and, and it was horrible. Anyway, it was like an onslaught to my sensory system. I did finally get off. What I... 
you know, recall in all of my life from, I, I, my memory can go right back to age one uh, and just before, is that my mom uh, never um, interfered. So if I was having a, what I call an NPI, neurophysiological interruption, which is when you're incoming, the incoming elements on all sensory drives are so severe, like so huge, that they overload your processing system. So you can't take in anymore. And and so you, you become physiologically reactive to stop. You have to stop that incoming information. Um, and invariably for me, it was coming in on every sensory pathway. So it wasn't just right. like, you know, the sound of the brass bands and the horns. It was the the glean of the shine of of those instruments. It was the flags flying around, these, you know, triangular flags of every bloody country this ship had passed through. And, um, <laughs> and the smell was, you know, a new smell uh, and, right. and so on. So the body was dealing through the, the, the five or more sensory pathways um, with this assault. My mother right. did not deal, she never, ever, ever cut into that assault. She would just let me deal with it. So she would Work always remove herself. She would walk away. She could always see me and I could see her. But she never, right. ever, ever jumped in. So when we were in England, you know, she would always take me, you know, on the train and shopping in Oxford Street and this sort of thing, which was just horrible, full of crowds and, and again, color and smells. But I I think it was great that she continued to do it, um, even though, you know, I'd flop on the floor and my legs and arms were going. People would call her names because she was Asian yeah. with unruly child. Um, right. And, and she... She did. She ignored the people. She was very. She was a very strong person, um, and gave me the time I needed. And she always knew that I would get up and and come and find her, right? Because she always knew I was watching yeah. where she was. So, right. You know, when you when I hear, you know, fast forward now sixty years <laughs> from from when my parents got together to my life now and what I see in the world, I just find it horrible when I, you know, on social media and physically I've seen it, uh, the verbal and physical abuse that I witness uh, parents, you know, doing with their autistic kid, um, or on the flip side of it, the lack of attention where, um, you know, I have worked with families whose children uh, did not have proper meals. Um, you know, parents were inebriated. Uh, the place was a, a mess. Parents themselves had their own issues and problems. Um, so I've seen seen it all. So I've seen the lack of being able to do the support. You know, whether it's an autistic child or just a child, forget autistic. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the intent abuse because the child is autistic. And right, it and breaks, they can't. You know, can't. Yes, it's a horrible thing to witness, especially when, you know, you've come from a family that 
has so much love of of the raising of children and um you know joy around around the you know what children are going to show you right in their way of communicating so that and today right. today I cannot stand what I see on social media around autism I just can't and and it bothers me tremendously and and you know I'm glad that you suggested to do these these shows because and then to document because I hope one day people will will listen and 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 stop the clinical jargon in their brain that they've absorbed yes. from some clinician because they have to be the manager of their child's caseload. I mean, really, what a <laughs> stupid, ridiculous platform our gov- Western governments have put parents into. So incredibly right. ridiculous. Right, and, 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 and parents are all too happy to play along. And even now, with the advent of so many online autistic adults writing and blogging and, and putting out some contrast information to demystify some of these myths that have been perpetuated, and you see the resistance still from free information that some of these parents are just not willing to take. They would rather take the information from the clinicians. And sometimes I just really can't understand or reconcile that because when they're rejecting the advice from autistic adults who've lived as an autistic person, they're also rejecting the idea that people should respect their child when their child becomes an autistic adult. I just want to mention that I just see a post by uh, Yvonne Mikulinchuk, who is the founder of um, the Autistic Women's Association. It used to be Asperger Women's Association worldwide. Um, And she just said that she's been listening in and an excellent interview and a must-listen to great for autistic women and for parents of autistic girls. Um, sorry, I just wanted. I, maybe we should do a shout out to people if they are listening on their computer uh, and do want to call in. They don't have to call in. They can go into the chat room and pop a question or a comment. Yes, and thank you, Yvonne. I won't even try to announce your last name. <laughs> oh well, it's taken me uh, years. Every time Yvonne would come to the World Autism Festival. You know, we go Michael and Chuck, Michael and Chuck, Michael and Chuck. We got to get the name right, but it's a beautiful name. It's Czech. It's Czech it is. It name. is. It's beautiful. Yes. But yeah, um, it, if you want to call in, right, Kelly? The number is one seven six zero eight two five zero nine zero three. You can also call in on other through Skype, I believe. Um, but you can also go into the chat room, uh, which is affiliated with the show. It's a blog talk radio show, Autistic People, People First, on blog talk radio, and uh, and and join in. So, yeah, all of those, I guess today, you know, we're really covering a, a little bit of my history kind of woven in to the status quo as it stands today in society being autistic, right? Yes. And sort yes, of the convergence. Of, of, of yeah, you know, there's so much going on currently. We just went through this big election in the United States, and it's really having a global impact. And I just 
feel like this whole decade where we've all kind of aligned for empowerment. Um, you started the, um, started the National Autistic, National Autistic Awards, Awards at the beginning of this decade and the momentum of people, people wanting, wanting to look at the humanity and the talents and the strengths has grown tremendously from the time that Autism Highway and I came online in uh, late 2009. Late. And I am in awe of what I just witnessed this year's Autistic uh, yeah. World, the World Autism the World Festival, Autism. the Anchor World Autism Festival in Vancouver. The the autistic participants that were performing on the piano at the at the microphone on the runway and in so many different um, opportunities, and it was like seeing people have the chance to do something they never tried to do and 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 talk from the microphone and go over here to the makeup room and, and play with the makeup and there's so much experiential richness that goes on in this community. I want this to be with every family because if you just understand the humanity of your child and don't listen to this medical droning about the deficits, um, you're not going to see these deficits. You're going to be expanding the child's heart and mind to where they don't feel like they're not doing everything that they should be doing. You don't want people to feel that way. You want them to feel like they're doing the best they can do because this is how they can and do better. And that's just with all people. And so it's such a change to see that, that yeah, families are families. clipping their own children's wings with this fear. Yeah. And uh, I just really am thankful and encourage all families to get involved with the Naturally Autistic People Awards. Nominate friends, friends people that you admire, and, and bring your children. Even if they're not nominated, come on out and experience, experience what it's like for them to have icons to model after and to look up to and to realize that you have an entire culture of autistic people to learn from. You don't have to just learn from people that are considered quote-unquote normal. The autistic culture is rich and there are so many people working in the world that are autistic that that our kids can model after and and, and admire. admire. Well, I, ha- I have to say, you know, please don't model people who think they're normal because there is no such thing as normal. So I really caution autistic people to, to not um, model, model, you know, other, other human subgroups because we are very good at absorbing information and, and um, we absorb it really well and quickly. And sometimes we may be absorbing the wrong, you know, uh, right, the wrong side right, of the fence, right. so to speak. <laughs> I like that um, you brought that out. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that. Uh, the the World Autism Festival, you know, we wanted to do um, something like this a long time ago. It's really an extension of our work with 250 families and uh, and I don't know how many individual autistic people came through ANCA quite a lot. 
um, but in, in families and then all the different professionals that came through, so, you know, several thousand over the course of, of the 22 years. Every year uh, at ANCO, we would have a presentation in a theater, in, in, a, in a downtown Vancouver theater, small theater, um, and, and it would give the families and the teachers from the school system and others an experience of what the children could demonstrate, could illustrate the, their, their own talent and ability. Um, so we always did that. So the Anchor World Autism Festival is really an extension of those, those annual events which showcased um, how the autistic individual naturally grows and develops. And yeah. but of course, you know, I we don't do things by halves. Um so when Charlie and I, you know, agreed to do to expand this on a world stage, I mean, you're right. The social media hadn't really taken off yet insofar as the corporations hadn't quite yet gone on board and infiltrated buying ads and so on. So we're still at a grassroots level in 2010, 29, 2010, right? Yes. yes. And, and so we had an opportunity indirectly to connect at a grassroots level. I mean, there were people, there were no people from other countries really online. Maybe we had India, right? You had the Western countries for sure. Yeah. But you didn't have yeah. that many people from the United Kingdom yet, certainly not many from Europe. And certainly there were no autism organizations on board yet, social media. Not to the degree that you're seeing them now. Yeah. And when we started it as a World Autism Festival event, which, as Kelly just said, was about the awards, you know, nomin getting people to be nominated for their achievements and their contributions right. to society... And that was unheard of. No one had thought, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, autistic people actually contribute, actually have a talent, uh, actually can be celebrated. No one had thought about that. I mean, all the organizations out there were celebrating, patting themselves on the back. You know, right. community right. resource person gets an award, right? Teacher of the year, parent yeah. of the year, consumer of the year. But there was nothing for this community. And right. so we launched it. And then what happened the following year? Anna Kennedy launches Autism's Got Talent. The Genius of Autism in New York gets launched. Dubai and their right. art right. thing gets launched. Because we launched this. The problem, yes. Yes. there is a problem to all it. There's, there's a great thing that it's called by association, right? The 100th Monkey Syndrome. You create something right. and it ricochets out there, the pebble in the pond. That's fabulous. It's wonderful. But the real difference between what we do and what all these others do is that we're not – our event is a celebration. Our event is a showcase. Our event is live entertainment. Our event is a true festival. So we, our event is not about fundraising. And right. You know, some of you listeners may be really shocked to hear that we have been contacted over the years by so many autism organizations asking us to give them a percentage of the event. And when I ask them, 
why would you want that? They're like, well, isn't that a fundraising event? Their association to anything to do with special needs and autism on the stage, and all you guys have to do is go out and research it, is guess what, Kelly? Yeah. It's for fundraising. Yeah. So I didn't they know that. I had no idea about this until I, you know, was we were approached. And then I just said to them, why would you think a festival is a fundraiser? Well, that's what you do, isn't it? That's what everyone right. does. They put right. The, right. the Downs kids out there to raise money for their organization. They do a fashion show out there with Downs kids or little people kids and yeah. raise the money for the organization. They do Autism's Got Talent because it raises money for the charity, uh, for the Anna Kennedy Online Schools, actually, which is a great thing. I'm not right. saying it's a right. bad thing. I'm just saying it has become so entrenched, the affiliation and right. association, that when you bring something new to the, the world and, and, and to the table, people don't get it. They don't get that this is, this is an event, like, in years to come, like Cirque du Soleil became. You know, when they right. started out, there were two street guys doing their street thing, had an idea, and developed Cirque du Soleil. But it took them nearly 30 years before it got sold off, right, to a Chinese corporation and an American corporation in the billions. That's what I'm saying, right? Right. Right. And so, well, that's the problem is people... When they hear the word autism, that's charity. It's like word association. They don't see autism as anything else but um, the medical pathology syndrome and charity. And they don't even understand that autistic people are out there in the marketplace creating innovative products that everybody uses. They might not be saying they're autistic, but they have innovative autistic thinking that's been able to enable them to create things beyond what other people are creating. Right, and so um, the, ah, you've got a caller, Kelly, so I'll just oh. bring the caller in for you. Hello? Hello? Hi, Hello, welcome I'm, I'm Leonora, but Kelly is the host. Yes, I wanted to call in saying how much I identified with, uh, this is Yvonne Michelinchok with uh, Autism uh, Women's Autism Association. Association. Uh, hi, I Yvonne. Hi. hi, Yvonne. That's great. I did recognize your number. Lovely to hear you. It's good to hear you. Uh, I really have enjoyed this. Um, it, it, she is, uh, Leo's right on the button on uh, individualism. And my and mother, I my believe, mother, was, I autistic believe was autistic for who, for who uh, I, was. I was. So I, so would, I, I didn't would, seem I didn't different, seem to, her. different to her. I was just I was different, just different uh, like, like any individual, any individual would, be would be different. And exactly. uh, I think we're also different in that we have different nurturing from the homes. Our homes are different. So they're autistic people I don't identify with because they're nurtured differently than I am and our individualism is so different. The only thing we have in common some is autism. 
Right, the yeah. umbrellas. Like, yeah. But have a neurotypical. Neurotypicals are different. They're extremely different from their nurture and their individualism among themselves. It's the same thing with us. And the same thing with neurotypicals. It's simply a different brain operating system than neurotypicals. Right. I love right. the word you used, individualism. I think that's that's a beautiful word. Because earlier in the show, Kelly and I were discussing that word different and how it's it's not really a nice word, whether it's in the context of autistic people versus not autistic people or other people versus other people. But the the individualism is quite a lovely lovely word, isn't it, Yvonne? Because it speaks volumes. Just the word itself. It is. That's what we are. We are. Mm -hmm. We're all individualistic. I mean, just because somebody has blonde hair and somebody has brown hair, somebody happens to be neurotypical, someone happens to be autistic, we're raised differently. And we have we're different human beings with different brain operating systems and different likes and dislikes. I love art and math. There are a lot of people, autistic women, who do not like math. Right, so when when it's put into the the that's why the journey of everyone's life because it's a new emerging culture, right? The autistic culture of right. people right. is newly emerging. Really, people in the autistic community think everyone knows it. No. And and no. I just have to do yeah. a, a quick example when 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 we go out to reach out to small businesses and uh, corporations to come out to our event, be be an exhibit, a table, or you know, um, be a partner in in what we do each year. The majority of these people have never met or known anything, let alone even the word autism. Can you believe it? And and the, the 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 group of autistic people in the world is so small and so still so sheltered, even with social media, under you know these various resource groups and um, other umbrellas and organizations that mainstream to this day really doesn't know much other than the odd sort of propaganda show done by the media that doesn't really tell the whole story. No, so they, I, they I all really look and act like Quasimodo. Pardon? I said they all, the media presents that we all act and look like Quasimodo. Right. And, 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 when, yeah. and Yvonne, you've experienced this when you've come to the World Autism oh, yeah. Festival where there have been like diplomats that, that honestly did not even meet an autistic person until coming to the event. Like in Edinburgh, remember what that beautiful uh, consul from India said at the gala dinner. You know, he yeah. was yeah. heart-touched. He was emotional because he had heard the label but never met the people, let alone sit down to a beautiful gala dinner and engage with everybody. People so and friends I know, people and friends I know, uh, whether they're friends or on a business level or whatever I do, they don't believe I'm autistic. And my husband has to tell them. He says she deserves an Academy Award. Yes, she is. I can tell you that. And my husband yeah. knows I'm different at home than I am out in public. Yeah, people have such and, a, and I'm a the same. But that again is a human thing too. There, there. You know, I. I know lots of people who are not autistic who are, behave 
in actual fact, I'd probably see more diversity in their behavior if I meet them for coffee and then maybe they come to one of our events and then maybe I go to their workplace and then I go to their home. I could literally see four different behavioral patterns of how they execute communications depending on those four environments, you know, probably more explicitly than even um, an autistic adult. I won't say children because children are always different in whatever environment that presents. Um, but, yeah, you're right, Yvonne. It's, uh, but don't you think the journey of people like yourself and myself in our age group is so, so, so important to start having the conversation? Oh, yes, because we've been through it all, and we did it before anybody knew anything about autism. I'm 65, and uh, I didn't find out I was autistic. I was diagnosed at 56. So I lived a whole world with a different identity than what I, I thought it was my culture. Because right, I and I thought, I thought it was my, you know, the variants of cultures I had been raised yeah. in, including yeah. my, parental, my parents' cultures. So yeah. exactly. And, and then, so Yvonne, this is a really good conversation because when you did finally find out and you finally started to meet people, not just in your own age group, but maybe younger people that you could see how you were as a child and, and so on. How did that make you feel? Well, it made me realize who I really am. It confirmed it. It made it real. It wasn't just in my head, so to speak, or how I identified myself. It was concrete evidence that uh, I was autistic. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. exactly the same as it, you know, worked for me, too. And then sort of fast forward from then to now and all the different things you've seen, you know, obviously a huge increase in many groups online, huge increase in a, in a completely new generation since you, me, and Kelly started on social media. You know, this is now the generation, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21-year-olds uh, that you know weren't weren't able to access social media when we all got on, and and I see a difference in that group uh, compared to the groups that we were interacting with at the beginning of social media. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent. One thing I have to say is the validation of it. I didn't have to make uh, ideological concepts or rationalizations of uh, who I was, like uh, saying, well, if I'm different, it must be the culture. But you're right about the generational differences. That's very much so. When AWA, uh, Autistic Women's Association, came on board eight years ago, soon to be nine, um, there was nothing really online for us. And it and was a matter of getting matter facts of getting out facts there and information, out there and information to people. And the younger and the generation, generation have much have more much information more on their plate than we ever had. We had nothing. Had nothing. Yeah. So there is it's, a difference now. And yeah. I think because yeah. that generation, uh, you know, entered the school system, where the school system, you know, some were probably great in in how. They supported uh, people from the autistic community. 
children and parents and some, of course, not. But let's sort of go down the positive road. I think the influence of our generation, you know, certainly for myself, I, we did influence the system here in uh, British Columbia. Uh, and I know other friends like um, Kathy Grant and Jean-Paul Bouvet, and I'm going back to the early people uh, that no one knows about in the history. Uh, they only know, you know, Donna Williams, Temple Grandin. But behind Donna Williams and Temple Grandin were some other extraordinary people, such as Jim Sinclair also. And they were all part of the same same group. Um, so they're, you know, I, I, you look at how all of that information translated and then these kids today that have just been popping up all over social media in the last year, they weren't even born when we no. all started communicating. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so they've grown up with some additional information. You know, some of it's probably great, some of it's not. Um, I, I have talked to a number of people in their late 20s and, and early 20s who uh, seem to... Um, be, have been misled about charitable organizations, for example. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, uh, there's yeah. a lot of uh, quid pro quo, as they're using lately, and a lot of that stuff, and it gets sometimes into the pockets of a lot of people. And instead Absolutely. of to the charitable so organization. Right, and I, AWA takes no money. We take there's all volunteers, no money at all. Yeah, but but however, if AWA wanted to fundraise for whatever outreach program, it still has that ability. Yes, but what oh, I'm yeah. talking about yeah. is long long-standing organizations um, that you know have been around for a long time, and some are really really good, uh, and and have set some really great pathways. And others, you know, are all about the hierarchy of their own organization and, yep. and yep. right, st- yes. fundraising to keep the organization afloat so that these people continue to be paid. And I don't know how beneficial today those organizations are. Um, you know, and right? they and also they attack also a lot of uh, other organizations that are doing very well. They tend to be very hostile towards them because they feel as people they should be having, giving them money. Right, and and because it's all that whole charitable thing that, you know, um, that's why we're not a charity. So uh, even though we probably do, we do more charitable, we give more charity <laughs> um, to people in terms of our own philanthropy. Um, but yeah, that's that's a whole other yeah, well, story. That's, that's well, go ahead, yeah, Penny. and that's the other natural precedent that naturally autistic is setting and trying to set and trying to get people to understand that you're not saying come out and and uh, be involved in the award process by getting uh, somebody to nominate you or to nominate your friends' works and then come out and pay for your award. No, that's not what it's about. If you, if you want to attend the special event, you, you you make business connections with the people who want to sponsor your work and your launching of your um, 
bringing your your talents to the world the world stage. You need to make business connections with people in order to help you achieve your goal of being there in person. And if you can't be there in person in in, in year one or year two, you you make films and you engage and you you send those films on and you work toward the goal of getting there in person. And you learn business through doing that. You don't just put a cup on the corner and say, help me get to the Anko Awards. I'm a poor, beautiful soul. You use your talent and you build connections in the business world. And this is what you're trying to teach autistic people to free themselves from this charity paradigm. Exactly. And I mean, Yvonne herself understands um, how important that is because when, you know, this this past year, our seventh annual event so you know we've really we've built a really fine um presentation for business people to take a good look at us and and uh to come on board and and by opening up the first trade show and fair um for exhibitors and you know get it out there to people the thing is when it really worked and kelly you met a lot of those people they were really thrilled to participate to purchase their exhibitor table and to showcase. But the feedback we have gotten from all of those businesses was they had never met, did not even know uh, the word autism or that it even existed as a community or culture. And because they are good business people, uh, in our introduction to them, they saw an opportunity of a new market. Now, Yvonne knows I've been saying this for, de- well, donkey's years, right, Yvonne, that we are That's an right. emerging new market. We are not all autistic yeah. people who are doom and gloom. There are many, 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 many of us, like Yvonne and I, who grew up with, with great families, um, had education, and have worked all our life and never taken a right. handout. So there, we exist. And I never were fired. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. And never were fired. I was never fired. I was always promoted. <laughs> right. Nice. Exactly. Me too. And and also entrepreneurial spirit too because Yvonne, you've had art commission works. Uh, you've been commissioned to do artworks and mm-hmm. you've also set up, you know, with your husband, uh different right. philanthropic organizations like your your mm-hmm. your wildlife thing and your um your lawyers, lawyers thing for, for, arts, for yeah. track, yeah, and so on, and 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 that's why people in business like to do partnerships with other people in business, and if they see an emerging marketplace, which we are as an autistic community, they want to get involved. Well, as Kelly experienced this year with this new launch, right, Kelly, they were pretty amazed. Perhaps you can share with with Yvonne and the listener what you experienced on that trade show day. Well, it was just fantastic to see everybody there was 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 promoting positive aspects of what they're doing in their lives, and everybody had something that kind of worked in conjunction with each other. I was very interested to learn from. Uh, the man there that does acupuncture and talked about the okay. pathways in the in the human body that can be manipulated to help sinuses, to help this, to help that. So it's like everybody, everybody that was there had something beautiful to promote 
that we all needed to learn from each other. And, you know, the business opportunities are splendid. You could see people connecting and thinking about doing things together, you know. So I was really, really uh, just so excited to be there and a part of it. And I felt honored to be um, with such a esteemed group of people who were really promoting fantastic creations and launching themselves. And, you know, it's 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 a... It's a whole new day, and I really want you know everybody to understand how important it is to to take those steps to to try to involve yourself in this. And even stop with non the way of even with nonprofit organizations. Go ahead, nonprofit organizations. We don't. We have all volunteers, and Charlotte, Edith Willis, and Tina Richardson are the two directors now of Autistic Women's Association, and they're doing a fantastic job. And they're training other volunteers who are autistic women how to run an organization. How to yeah, run and that's a nonprofit so organization, and they are learning step by step, and involved, and get training and support, and everything they do in this organization will work towards their resumes. Exactly, Yvonne, and, and I just want to mention, um, as a side, I thought about you so many times during the seventh annual World Autism Festival because we had the largest turnout of women across the board, didn't we, Kelly? I mean, I was shocked. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yvonne, you would have power. been so shocked. Not in, shocked, in bad, pool. happy. Like two-thirds of our volunteer pool, which was 40 people, were women. And wow. what would you say, Kelly? 80% of the delegates that came from abroad were women. Well, wow. yeah, possibly maybe 70. You know, we, there was the, the guys were there, but there was so much women power. And, oh, Yvonne, you would have loved the, the little um Well, the reason I didn't come, I became a grandmother again in October. Oh, October. congratulations. Thank you, my second grandchild. And so my daughter really needed me at this time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, That's yeah, exciting. but, you know, you've been to the events before. I think mm-hmm. what's really... You know, because people keep saying this, how how wonderful it was to have so many autistic women on the spectrum at this event. Not not all nominees or recipients. They were there to enjoy the event, to meet other women. And sure. I, you know, I met. I mentioned your organization many many times. But of course, you're in all our magazines, right? So. Um, yeah, it was great, Yvonne. It was so, and I've been telling that is people wonderful. to your organization. I'm so thrilled. Wow. I really am. That is great. That is so yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I was, I was thrilled. But yes, for for the listener, I mean, you get two people in our age group on on the on the radio show, <laughs> and we can share so much history together. That oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah the people aren't aren't covering um, at all, right? Kelly is out there with all the young people because of her uh, um, Autism Highway Talk Festival, uh, which is right. coming up this spring, and we're hoping for for some surprise for people, but can't say for another week yet. Um, oh, fantastic! So we've said we have said it, but it may. We're just waiting for a hotel, like we've said, Kavina, yeah. but it may have to be down the road in terms of the festival, the World Festival Regional. Peace. But we'll know pretty soon, right, Kelly? 
Yeah, we're getting that all into place. And, uh, yeah, I've been really excited to see the empowerment that is picking up steam every year at our Chalk Festival event. I mean, we're going to be coming into our seventh year also next year. And I've seen some of the artists that have participated over the last four years, I've seen their growth. And not only their growth in the art, but their growth in their pride and their willingness to say, hey, I'm autistic, there's nothing to be ashamed about, and I'm going to do exactly. this great design, and I'm going to use my autistic focus, and I'm going to create something awesome. And so there's been a whole bunch of that emerging, people getting up and reciting beautiful poems, singing, amazing speeches, talking about the strengths and the empowerment that the community is rising up to. And it, 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 it just fills my heart to see these kids that I saw when they're like 11. Now they're coming into their teenage years, and they're they're making uh, amazing designs on the ground with political statements. I'm a person, not a puzzle, you know. So it's really amazing to see that these young kids are going to be growing up in a whole new reality, you know. And you guys have been the trailblazers to put that information down on the ground for them so they can feel grounded and feel like being autistic is normal because, you know what, it is. Autism is a normal part of humanity, and it's normal to be autistic. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and I think, you know, like um, Yvonne's organization and your organization, Kelly, and others and and ours, is is you, you, you start to see this sort of, not just an emergence when we all began, but this this history, this collation of developmental history that, you know, wasn't there for the autistic community before because it was hidden. No. Was right. You know, people right. were stripped of their talent. They were, if they had an interest, it was perseveration and it was taken away from them. Um, and so now we've got all these different sort of avenues that's collating the the culture, collating the history, collating the talent, um, and 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 these the younger people coming on board, the ones I've spoken to at least in, in this last year, um, had no idea because they were privileged. For the most part, they've been privileged to go to school and be supported, right? I'm not saying all, but certainly we yeah. have moved ahead a little bit at least in the last eight to ten years. So they have no idea of the struggles that the people, say Yvonne's organization or your beginnings with the chalk or even your own son, Kelly, uh, and the same with me, had to struggle with to get this voice out that there's nothing wrong with us but everything right, you know. Exactly. So hopefully one day we can all... (laughs) Sit down and have a bottle of champagne and really cheer this <laughs> this amazing, yeah. well, very rapid journey that we've seen transpire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this decade of change in 2020, will we all be seeing clearly? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> oh, right. I, I love that. 2020 coming up. <laughs> will we all be right. seeing clearly? That's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's putting yeah. me, that's putting thing me thing near seventy. <laughs> You're gonna yeah. be seventy? Yeah. I'll be sixty nine in twenty twenty. Okay. I'm just behind well, you, Yvonne. Well we'll oh, celebrate. Yeah. We'll yeah. celebrate. Well, 
and I'm, just a, and I'm just a few years behind that, so not not far behind. <laughs> You're Charlie's age. <laughs> You're, yeah. um the twenty twenty nineteen is the Anchor World Autism Festival's tenth uh, anniversary. Fantastic. Oh, that's right. Fantastic. Yeah, so we're we're really going to be starting next year to, you know, get our team. Like we we now have an operations manager, we have our communications director, and we'll have a, have we have a team of forty volunteers, fifty uh, percent of whom will be working starting this year, are working year round with various projects. Um, you know, connecting to the cultural organizations that come on board with us, sort of finding out, you know, what contribution, you know, what era these organizations want to contribute. Is it in dance? Is it in performance? Is it at the trade show? This sort of thing. So our volunteers now will be working year-round, including our staff, who are paid staff, just so everyone knows, <laughs> Um, communications yeah. director and operations manager, and a couple of other people that will be working um, in the tech side because there are some changes being made next year. But what I wanted to say as we wrap up is that um, that 10th anniversary is really important. So they'll be reaching out to all the nominees over the years um, and 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 creating this you know amazing production that will happen for the 10th anniversary. So, uh, and we're going regional starting next spring, which I think yeah. we just covered. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's exciting, it's, isn't it? Yeah, we've more, got more a lot. Joining. I'm gonna wonderful. Yeah, it's 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 nice, especially as we're getting more mature. <laughs> we've got something yeah. beautiful yeah. to reflect back on. Um, yeah, I'm gonna let Kelly wrap up the show and. Um, however you want to wrap it up, Kelly. This is just yeah, the first well, of a series of shows, right? Yeah, and we're going to have a lot of long conversations about uh, the autistic culture. You know, it's it's an amazing thing to discuss and to, to bring into the future and to empower the younger generations with because every culture wants to learn from their elders <laughs> even though the elders feel young at heart okay and and this is exciting that we're going to hear this beautiful um story that a lot of people haven't really delved into i mean you can go to the nationally autistic website and check at the um about us section and read the living bio there that leonora has thoughtfully put down to show the course of She's gone through in order to create this great platform for all of us. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we will be doing this show every Wednesday. And I think the time frame will probably stay the same. So let's plan on making it a weekly date. And if you can't catch it live, catch it on uh, replay. And there's a lot to learn and a lot to discuss. And so definitely um, call in also like Yvonne did. Thank you so much, Yvonne. It was great hearing from you today. And I hope we can talk to Charlie next time. Thank you, Yvonne, as well, for joining the show. It was great. It was a nice surprise, wasn't it, Kelly? Yes, very nice, very nice. So thanks a lot, Yvonne. And, yeah, I just want to do a shout-out to another new um, 
person on the team, and, and that's Elizabeth Pritchard from New York with uh, Paperback yeah. Comics. She was a recipient this year in visual arts, and she will be hosting her own shows. She's in the process of learning the studio and how she's going to run the show. Um, so it's really exciting. We will also have new live streaming shows that Liz is also working behind the scenes to learn. So lots of great Very stuff. Exciting. And, and these podcasts will be available, I think, three minutes after this show. And all our shows are archived, so people have access to every single show uh, whenever they want. Um, but, Kelly, thank you for um, putting this idea out and, and wanting to do this. It's 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 amazing, you know, what one tends to cover on a show like this. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure that uh, we'll have a lot of input from the community and a lot of questions that we can go through and a lot of help, a lot of help. and a lot of resources for, for families that are just getting their diagnosis and don't run into fear, run right into empowerment. Oh, I love that. And don't forget to pop by autismhighway.com and uh, learn about that roadmap yeah. that's coming <laughs> coming your way that's soon. Right. That's right. Take a look and uh, get on board with us and follow the Highway to the Chalk, Chalk Festival. That's right. And then on to the, the World Autism Festival Regional. Western Regionals, correct. The Internationals. So um, just a shout-out to Charles Eckhart, who was one of our international judges. He's a musician and a songwriter. And we'll just wrap the show up with Your Smile Says It All. Um, he's just amazing so we'll just uh, put that so Kelly thanks a lot oh yeah thank you okay and I'll just keep looking on James Paul and hopefully it didn't hear echo I hear your echo when you first came on it's hard for me to hear it no no echo you sounded great good good okay so I'll be talking to you later on And thank you to our listener around the world. Looking forward to sharing our story further next week. Okay.